blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. You are destroying the Constitution of the United States. May God have mercy on your souls. Good day. Yes. We could be saved if we just elected the right white man to power. That's creepy, but that's in a different category of creepy. Zitzu, zitzu, zitzu. Gary Geigers. Of course he introduced zoning laws. Okay. You know what? Don't. Yeah. The less I have to do with that game, the better. Here's my favorite part of the defense. Clodius was probably fucking his sister. Jughead, not Jarhead. I have nothing against Marines. I want to make okay. that very clear. I'd be really interested to find out what fucking truth that woman was trying to get at. And like with most episodes, I can bring it back to wrestling. Oh. Right, well, he's got other people who work for him who also do things, and, and they can okay. mutate okay. Uh, okay. human size into smaller worlds, after all. Fuck you. I still don't give a shit about getting fake property in a fantasy game. History of Time, where we connect Mercury to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I am a world history teacher here in Northern California, uh, and uh, I am also, uh, you may notice uh, while we are recording, uh, I am I am the caretaker, parent, whatever you want to call it, of uh, three cats uh, who, as we record this evening, are having quite the case of the zoomies um, in the background. So I want to apologize ahead of time if you hear uh, thudding and the uh, scrabbling of claws on hardwood uh, as they try to reenact uh, the uh, Brickyard uh, Indianapolis 500 uh, <laughs> on, on my living room floor. So if you hear that, that's who they are. Also, if you hear them complaining, um, understand we do feed them whatever they might try to tell you. Uh, so please don't fall for their bullshit. And uh, who are you? I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, and I have a 13-year-old pug who uh, snores while he's awake. Um, and uh, I also have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. But interesting, uh, since you brought up pets, um, my dog is clearly on his way out. Like, he just is. That's a fact of nature. Mm -hmm. um, a couple things uh, that are kind of fun about that, um, it, weirdly, I know. Um, mm -hmm. One, my my dog will just start barking out of nowhere, and he's deaf, so you can't tell him to stop. <laughs> so my son has taken to, like, anytime he hears that happening, he immediately stops whatever he's doing. He says, Oh, he just needs some attention. And he goes over and sits down next to him and just starts talking to him and petting him and stuff like that. It's really sweet. That is. Yeah. Two, I went and bought dog food recently. A big old 50-pound bag of dog food. And I went to the feed store and they said, hey, uh, what's your name? I was like, Harmony. They type it into their computer. And they're like, you're not in our system. And I was like, no, why would I be? And I just buy dog food from you. And, and they're like, oh, well, you know, if you buy 12 of these, you get the 13th one free. And I just looked at her. I'm like, this bag is a lottery bag. Like, <laughs> the first 20 pounds are food. The last 30 are hope. Like, <laughs> I ain't going to make it to getting a, a free 13th bag with this dog. Like, that's not happening. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's me. I have a weird yeah. relationship with death. So, there you go. Uh, yeah, 
so death, but in particular, yeah. So uh, last time we left off with uh, the Carter administration almost getting decriminalization on the books. Uh, a majority yeah. of Americans were in favor of decriminalization, um, even yes. in Mississippi. Um, but the leadership of the country was not. Um, yeah. And Carter actually ended up having to punt that football because his boy, uh, uh, Peter Bourne, um, who actually had a very legitimate and reasonable approach to drugs, um, kind of got busted, got got caught um, holding the bag, as it were. Uh, and, and it was an embarrassment to Carter, and he, he didn't have the political capital to carry that through. Uh, kind of the inverse relationship of um, uh, Johnson in that Carter uh, was saving up his capital to do something uh, foreign uh, that is bringing peace between Israel and, and Egypt. Uh, yeah. And so he couldn't afford to lose that much capital domestically as a result. Uh, whereas Johnson had to keep bombing the shit out of Southeast Asia, so he had enough political capital to continue with the Great Society. So just yeah, and I'm painting oh. with real broad brushes there to to save a lot of time. But I did find that to be an interesting thing. Like he couldn't do something good for Americans because he was trying to do something good for the world, whereas Johnson couldn't do something good for the world because he was trying to do something good for Americans. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to have to sit with that one for a minute because yeah. holy crap. Whereas okay. Nixon was doing something terrible for the world and awful for Americans and and, and got yeah. reelected in a landslide. Yeah, well, yeah, because, <clears throat> you know, they, they say, uh, you know, you will you will never uh, go broke uh, betting uh, on the on the foolishness or stupidity of the American people. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to amend that and say, um, it is going to be very hard for you not to get reelected if you bet on the fear of the American people. Yeah. I was going to say cruelty, but you're absolutely right. Fear. Um, yeah. You know, Eastland, the guy that I talked about last time from Mississippi, he also yeah, had heckle. said that, um, he, he really hated black troops during world war two. Um, he, he downplayed all of their heroism. Because, uh, yeah. Yeah. He downplayed all of their heroism and he, he definitely minimized their contributions. Uh, but he also said that, uh, the, the white boys from America were fighting Nazis for the cause of white supremacy. <laughs> Did that motherfucker like listen to himself? Like... How? See this. This is somebody who clearly didn't have friends. Like, yeah. like real, like real meaningful. Like, okay, you need to sit down because we need to have a talk. Like right. friends, right? You know, because because when something like this is how we know that our current president doesn't actually have any friends. It's like when something that fucking stupid comes out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. your real friends are going to be like, okay, I need you to stop. Mm -hmm. I need you to back up 15 seconds and I need you to say that again mm -hmm. quietly because I don't want to hear it, but I need you to say that again to yourself slowly. Mm -hmm. And once you've done that, maybe you'll understand why you sound like a fucking moron. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a comedian who said that um, it's underrated getting an ass whooping from your peers <laughs> 
Um, yeah. And I'm not a big fan of getting an ass whooping from anybody because, uh, you know, I, I most of my living is made from above my eyebrows and I'm I'm kind of afraid of brain damage. So okay. I'm, I'm not I'm not a fan of getting an ass whooping. But I can't argue with his logic that if if more of these people who've been gaslit by their own privilege their whole life had gotten an ass whooping earlier on, they might have thought maybe I shouldn't say that part out loud at least. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, there are plenty of people who are going to say, well, violence begets violence. And and I would say that they're right to a point. But also, sometimes you need to give someone an ass whooping. And I think Jim Eastland should have had a few more ass whoopings. (sighs) And and some anvils just need to be fucking dropped, man, Mm -hmm. on somebody's head. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I left off last time with um, with with the the effort toward decriminalization not happening and with pot smuggling still happening because if it's not decriminalized you're gonna make a lot of money yeah you've incentivized a black market uh so parent groups in the 1970s get really really moving um in atlanta of 1976 so decriminalization also ran into a huge roadblock at that point as well um, and that that kind of combination of things definitely killed it. And here's why. It was Bicentennial Summer. Uh, there's okay. a woman named Marsha Keith. Her name is spelled, uh, well, I'm not going to say spelled weird because that's how her name is spelled. S-C-H-U-C-H-A-R-D. Shuchard? Um, Shuchard? Shuchard, yeah, probably. She had a birthday party for her 13-year-old daughter in suburban Atlanta. She noticed at the party... That a bunch of kids were high. And then she came to find out that kids all over the place were getting high. Okay. And they could buy rolling papers at the corner store. Okay. Well, so then she did what uh, the what any parent would do. She called the school. Are you aware that kids are doing this? And the schools were like, yeah, no, it's it's a thing that happens. And on occasion, we have to suspend a kid for getting high on campus. But like... It's just kind of part of part of the American experience at this point that kids 40, are going to experiment 40%, with drugs. Forty percent of kids are doing it. Yeah. So we you know it's it's we, we know. Yeah, we're not overly concerned about it. It's it's part of part of growing up right now. That's that's just how it is. And so because schools didn't overreact in the way that she wanted, um, then oh, she no yeah yeah oh okay yeah. So, you know, we are facing something similar in, well, not now that COVID, but prior, like in the last year, the amount of concern that went into vaping was, I was like, y'all are getting kind of hysterical about this. And it's like, well, we can't, you know, like a teacher can close or can turn his back and a kid can take a hit off a vape thing and uh, a vape thing because I'm that. I'm that hip. You're that. You're that hip. Yeah. Um, yeah, more maybe hip than Bo ben, Jackson, maybe. But, <laughs> um, but they can hit take a hit off the vape thing, and uh, by the time the teacher turns around, it is vaporized. Like you, you might not even smell it. Um, yeah. So, and that's entirely true. And there's all kinds of devices that are marketed toward kids, and and we had a oh, training yeah. on it and all that. And part of me was like, okay, so we lost that fight too. Okay, like I'm still. And the problem is that they're now getting THC into it, so kids are able to get <clears throat> high off of it and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like, 
you know, we'll bust what we can and, and, and stuff like that. But I, I regularly would tell my students, I'm like, I don't understand your friends who get caught smoking pot in the bathroom um, because it's not like we're going to actually look differently at them taking an edible. Like, I'm not going to look yeah. at a kid with a brownie going, oh, I bet you that's... It's like, oh, that's his dessert. Cool. Whatever. Like, put yeah. it in edible form and no one gets caught. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, I'm a practical man. But so, yeah, schools knew about it, and but they just accepted it. And parents, however, had linked pot to pregnancy because they remembered 1972. Oh, okay. Remember acid and abortions? Oh, oh, Jesus. Right. So they're like, well, if kids are doing pot, then they're getting pregnant. It's like, no, they're fucking. That's why they're getting pregnant. Um, But also, (laughs) at this point, it's starting and you're starting to see the growth of the religious right. You're starting to see that block and they're absolutely rolling right along with these. uh, And she started what's called the Nosy Parents Council. Um. So, also in 1978, Up in Smoke came out by Cheech and oh, Chong. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, there's this overall groundswell of pot culture. Um, in fact, if you look at Laughing, for instance, and if you look at the Smothers Brothers, there were pot jokes as far back as the 1960s on TV. Oh, yeah. And they oh, yeah. were, you know, a wink and a nod. But then you've got Saturday Night Live, and it's not winking or nodding or anything. It's like straight up, you know, making pot jokes. Um, And again, uh, just to reset, from 1972 to 1977, the amount of adults who admitted to using pot went from 11 to 24%. uh, Mm -hmm. And then by 1985, that increased to 33%. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So in in 10 years, you know, well, in in, in what, uh, 72 to 85, so that's what, a 13-year period, it had gone up triple. Gee, many Christmas. Um, for kids in 75, it was just under 40. By 80, it was 50%. Interestingly, by 85, it had dipped to 40% again. Huh. So that Just Say No movement and the war on drugs and all that brought it back down to 1975 levels. I'm not going to call that any kind of success. Because you dropped it by 10% and yeah. you dropped it to levels that existed 10 years prior. Yeah. So, but the reaction was that the Nosy Parents Association, it's what she called it, gave rise to something called the National Parents Resource Institute for Drug Education. Pride. Oh, God. All right. Yeah. This thing quickly grew. There ended up being 4,000 chapters nationwide. Um, now, I think that once they got the bee out of their bonnet about drugs, once their kids had graduated and they passed the torch on to other parents who wanted to be panicked and wanted to show how good a parents they were by how scared they were. I think that there's a strong overlap between the membership of this group and the membership of the parents who instituted the satanic panic of the eighties. And I would love if you did an episode on that because D and D. Um, yeah, yeah. And because I mean, and, I and was because I referenced at one of our bumpers. Yeah. <laughs> so, but here's what yeah. here's what Pride did. They barged their way into the National Institute of Drug Abuse, and because they were like, we're parents and we're really worried, uh, and they started like 
publishing all kinds of ridiculous pseudoscience panicky pamphlets that were legitimized because they they were part of the NIDA now. Like they worked there. They insisted on having a, a, it's kind of like if a union and a district are arguing with each other, that's negotiations that happens. And then a parent group self appoints itself and says, we should have a seat at the table too. And it's as though they were listened to and allowed to, it's like, wait a minute, who invited the self-appointed non-experts? Well, we have all these things from Google, you see, and it's like, no, you could take them somewhere else then. These parents did this successfully. They infiltrated the National Institute of, uh, what did I call uh, The NIDA, the National Institute of... uh, NIDA. Yeah, of, I lost my spot, of drug abuse. Drug abuse. Um, And they start, again, like I said, publishing ridiculous pseudoscience. There was an 80-page pamphlet that they published, and it had the legitimacy of the NIDA um, that they wore, like Buffalo Bill wore, of women like as skin and they're just like see we're official that's a hell of an analogy yeah well so (laughs) that's true okay so 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 when when you say it was full of pseudoscience what mm -hmm. what 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 kind of bullshit were they peddling in it that's where you start to get into things like um it affects testosterone production pot does and it affects it makes people at once more impotent and more sex crazed it uh like whatever scary shit that you could use there you go like a lot of dare education comes out of this okay and and were you were um when i when i mentioned gateway drug yeah this is where you start to this is okay yep absolutely because you said bicentennial summer yep okay so this parent group pride starts getting the nida to go hard after high times because this is marketing to kids and we're panicked about kids and kids and kids and kids. Will someone think of the children? And what I found is as soon as somebody does that, they gain a level of moral legitimacy that if you attack it, you're the monster. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. And so then not surprisingly, they then start attacking the, quote, permissive liberalism of the culture at the time. And Okay, permissive yeah. liberalism of the culture at the time mm-hmm. in 1976. Mm-hmm. Well, by this point, it's 78 or so. Um, but yes, it's, it's right in that, in that it's, it's hanging in the air there. Um, okay. And it's, it's getting a lot of, you know, uh, traction. Um, so their children and they were demonizing disco in the midst of doing this, weren't they? Yes. Something that people of color, gay folk or queer yeah. folk, um, uh, enjoyed quite a bit. And that was quickly tied to, uh, cocaine because it absolutely was tied to cocaine. Um, yeah. but yes, they're, they're, they're doing that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So their children are being seduced by the devil's <sighs> lettuce. Um, yeah. and decriminalization, hell no. Like we're going to yeah. run the other way, especially under Reagan. Hence comes the war on drugs. Yeah. Now, before I get to the war on drugs and I'm not going to spend that much time on it, to be honest, I want to go to the other coast. So we, we've left the East coast behind. I want to talk about Humboldt County because okay. even though it wasn't about smuggling, it still was about, 
um, sliding in under the radar. It still was about delegitimizing the government's efforts. And it still was the authority versus generally decent people who want to just make a little extra money and they're not doing that much harm. Okay. So in Humboldt County, there was a huge agricultural approach to pot farming. Okay. Uh, the growing season in Humboldt County was six months long and the climate was perfect for it. So that helped. Um, and pot was used to sustain microeconomies in Northern California because lumber had, had disappeared. That market had dried up because of the housing boom of the baby boomers. The, the growth of suburbs was built largely on the lumber from the Pacific Northwest. And so okay. those places yeah. are stripped out. So now, um, what can you make money doing? Well, uh, you can you can grow six plants of pot and like literally just six plants will get you four or $5,000. That's pretty Holy good. Holy moly. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, so if you plant five acres of the stuff. Well, yeah. And that's, and that's the Latifundia people. Like, again, you've got two groups here. You've got people who are doing just a little bit. They're anti-authorian on some level. Um, and they just want to be left alone and, and they're going to make a little bit of extra money. And then you've got other people who are like, oh, this is how I'm going to make my windfall of cash. And I will protect it with guns and, and uh, booby traps and everything. Okay. Um, so it was kind of a, a back to the land vibe that's going on okay. as well. Okay. Um, mixing with that hipster outlaw romance. Okay. Which also is mixing with commercial capitalism in a black market. So, so this is this is pot smoking hippies as as business majors. Yeah, this is the okay the people who are radicals who fought against Reagan when he was the governor. Um, okay, are often the exact same people who finished getting their degrees, and then decided to leave the rat race, or decided okay. to live their ideology, and the money that they would get by growing pot to sell would enable them to do that and live a pretty chill life and just, you know, grow a little. And there's other people who are like much more type A about it and like, I have to make all the money. But a lot of these people are just small farmers, kind of like uh, the equivalent would be like you have a small kiosk at a farmer's market every month. Okay. You have just enough, you know, and it's more you do it because you've got some surplus, but you like what you grew, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, and again, there's these towns that are just everywhere that have fallen. Um, and this pot uh, pot growth kind of helps rejuvenate them. And the idea is a Jeffersonian ideal of like small farmers. Okay, yeah. Living on essentially frontiers where the law doesn't really come out there. Okay, so you mentioned when your folks were looking to mm -hmm. start a farm. <laughs> That, that the vibe they got in Carolina yeah. was a Mendocino County vibe. Yes. Is 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 this kind of the group of people that you're that you're talking about? Yeah. So there there's two types. Again, there's the person who's just like, nah, you know, whatever. And and you know, they maybe they, they live a pretty solitary life and they do their thing and, and they just take care of it. Um, there's another group that is absolutely about making the money and they're very suspicious and on and on and on. Uh, okay. That second group is what you saw a lot more of. Um, and my mom, actually, she told me when I was very young, she she brought me up there to cut buds for uh, for the growers and, you know, make some extra money. 
Um, but that was the vibe that she got from the people that she was, I guess, working with or for was that there was a, a lot of suspicion where there ought not have been. So it was, you know, it's unsettling. Okay. Because if you're small enough at it, you're doing your own cutting and you're doing your own drying. Um, but if you're big enough at it where you're hiring people, you're, you are banking on this and now it's your livelihood. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, you've got, uh, by the way, you still have people smuggling and I would like to point out, notice who's doing the smuggling. Mostly it's ex-military men who learned how to fly. Okay. okay. And I, I just bring that up as kind of an echo point. So... Okay. By and large, you have independent farmers, private commerce, distrust of central government, the outlaw frontier, rugged individualism, um, all kinds of fun ways to hide the process from the law, up to and including renting hotel rooms for weeks on end and just turning up the heat and drying the pot in the hotel rooms. And the hotel owners mm -hmm. absolutely knew and had no problem with it because you're renting their rooms for four or five weeks at a time or two or three yeah. weeks at a time, which is way better than they would have had otherwise. There was a former forest ranger who was a Vietnam vet uh, that I found uh, his his explanation of what was going on. He used pot to supplement his income as a forest ranger. And he okay. said, quote, to a certain extent, I liked the outlaw aspect of it. And during the early 1980s, when the first Reagan recession came along, here I was in a cash economy not affected by all this bullshit, people going nuts in the cities and worrying about their decreasing standard of living. Hey, mine was actually increasing and without having to pay taxes. I didn't care what the law said. I knew it was not morally objectionable. The prices were so exorbitant. What kids could afford it anyway? All right. So now when you find prosperity like this, um, and that, that brings all types. And in the 1980s, yeah. it brings up the Gordon Gecko model. Uh, <laughs> Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in the early 80s, there were armed guards walking around, willing to shoot people. There were explosive booby traps. There were punji stick booby traps. There was all kinds of like paranoid, uh, you stay off my land kind of latifundia pot plantations that were protected by people who were willing to kill to keep it going. Which is why when I have students who go up to Humboldt County, I tell them flat out, if you go hiking, that's great. If you see these things, and I start listing different signs um, to let you know, I said, you stop where you are and you go home. You get off that land as quick as you can because you just walked into someone's, uh, you know, illicit. Grove operation. Yeah, and, and they will kill you. You know, or what, keep then that can happen. What 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 are the signs in uh, question? The one that I remember, like it's been a while since I've had a kid uh, who's gone up to Humboldt County uh, for for college. But if you see plastic bags nailed up uh, at on the eye line on a tree, plastic bags, and you see multiple, that's mm -hmm. a that's a boundary. Uh, okay, and so back it up. You know, and because and after that, there's booby traps and there's people with guns. There's also towers that people set up, observation towers, to shoot at people to keep them away. Like it, Holy it crap. yeah, it got, again, when you have a black market, you're going to have a couple different kinds of people. And one yeah. of the kinds of people you're going to get is, is just 
standard happy-go-lucky folk who are looking to, you know, sneak a little yeah. something, get one over on the government. And then there's others, right? Yeah. Um, now, in 1982, uh, Ronald Reagan declared war on drugs. Yes. He said, quote, we're making no excuses for drugs, hard, soft, or otherwise. Drugs are bad, and we're going after them. As I've said before, we're taking down the surrender flag and running up the battle flag. We're going to win the war on drugs. So, like, again, like with Eastland, here's a thousand things that you can pick apart with just those two sentences. There's a ton here where you're just like, oh, my God, the amount of energy it's going to take to unpack and prove wrong what you said. You you can't actually be involved in a war. Right. Against a thing. Right. Because that's that's not. How does it suit for peace? That's that's a flawed analogy. It is. That's, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, it's interesting now in, in our current events, you know, we've talked about, you know, when, when people start bringing out the war metaphors and the hero metaphors, you know, that somebody has been, been, uh, or is about to become, uh, expendable. Mm -hmm. So in the war on drugs, Mm -hmm. who is expendable? Well, the war on drugs isn't Users. really a war on drugs. It's a war on people of color and the poor. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, it's a war on the marginalized. It's, it's a way of tugging at that heartstring that works in large swaths of our country where they had it coming because they were doing something illegal. It's like, well, it shouldn't have been illegal, maybe. Nope, it was illegal because it was against the law. And you're like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> like, yeah. So they began something called the Campaign Against Marijuana Planting. And I also saw it was called the Campaign Against Marijuana Production. And, and so the, the P gets switched around. But it's called CAMP. Camp. Um, okay. And it starts in 1984. And it's essentially an effort to Vietnamize the pot growers. Like straight up, like you come in on helicopters and you attack them and you burn their shit out. You treat them like the Viet Cong. Which really sucks for a lot of these people who were actual veterans of that war. Yeah. And here's where it gets really interesting. I was talking to my parents about this. I was like, these people who went up here were some of the same people who were part of the SDS, who were part of the people that Reagan attacked as radicals in the 60s, and now they've grown up by 20 years, and the same goddamn guy is attacking them again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Shit, you know, and yeah. and and he's using the government again to crack down on them. And he and here's a quote, he felt absolute he was absolutely morally right and he was going to do this regardless of law or people's rights and if he couldn't, he would just change the laws. Camp from the beginning made no observance of any constitutional restrictions on law enforcement. And, and okay. so that's how people in Humboldt saw what was going on. Uh, and so and, and by the by this point, they had elected sheriffs who didn't give a shit or who looked the other way. Well, well yeah, Reagan's bringing in the federal government because, you know, states rights. <clears throat> yeah, this 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 from a guy who, you know, there are multiple surviving campaign photos of him, you know, mm-hmm. standing next to Confederate flags. Yes. Like states rights. Well, it was in his Fuck. inauguration speech. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, like, like yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. And and like like with you know everybody of of that ideological ilk, it's states' rights. Well, until we're the ones in power, at which point we're going to do what we fucking want. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's it's it really is that. And this guy, this this veteran, called it out like he saw it for what it is. Now the government used U two spy planes. Yeah, and prior to camp, um, the first year of their war on drugs in 1983, so this is prior to camp, the federal government reduced pot production in Humboldt County by a whopping 10%. All right. And what they did was they took out most of the Latifundia farmers that they could find, but the small growers were way more savvy. So in 1984, the DEA... Um, along with camp, uh, they came out of helicopters onto people's land with assault rifles and a bunch of officers uh, and agents who were down in Southern California being pumped full of stories of insurgent pot growers using punji sticks and and all kinds of like booby traps and stuff like that. Like straight up like, you know, the Viet Cong handbook. Yeah. And they're like, that's what these people are doing. So you have these young men who are well-armed, poorly informed, and badly trained, pointing guns at civilians for growing pot on their own land and coming out of helicopters to do so. Wow. So that's a dynamic that's happening. And people in Humboldt County genuinely felt colonized. There's a DEA field agent whose name kept popping up, uh, William Ruzamenti. And he said that, quote, there were boards of supervisors that thought that way that you should just look the other way. This is not a big deal. There were sheriffs that thought that way, that it's, again, fine to look away because it's good for the local economy and you're not doing much harm. Continues. Um, Those people are dinosaurs. They're not around anymore. And I think you're going to find that the marijuana grower is a dinosaur. He is not long for this world either. It's really hard not to feel colonized when a guy's saying that. Well, one, it's really hard not to feel colonized. And two, um, you know, looking back on that mm-hmm. from 2020, mm-hmm. there's a certain urge to point and laugh. Go on. <laughs> well, you know. Make like, it clear for everyone. Cause... <laughs> okay. Well, you know, the, 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 because, you know, well, you know, pot growers or dinosaurs, you're not going to see their, their, you know, you're not going to see them anymore. My, my, best friend from college mm-hmm. works for uh, a security company mm-hmm. uh, and he, he is a designer of large scale security systems, camera integrated cameras, sure. monitoring systems, that kind of stuff. And um, one of the big, big, big jobs that he wound up getting sent out on mm-hmm. uh, to do engineering for was in Colorado back before mm-hmm. the plague. Mm-hmm. Uh, to develop the uh, security system for the growing and packaging operation for right. a privatized, legalized uh, uh, pot farming operation of Herculean scale. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot, I cannot begin to describe to you just exactly. Like a, a, an entire industrial warehouse, yeah, that had been converted to to have grow lights 
and and be the 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 growing operation. Yeah, it's it's and, astounding. Yeah, no, I mean it's not the amount of the amount of money that that people are starting to make legally off of this now mm-hmm. um, is is like mind boggling, and and that's in states that it, that states' rights. States that have said, yeah, no, you know what? Um, it's not that big a deal. Right. We're legalizing it. You know, it started with, with medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. And now it's it's gone, you know, fully to, no, seriously, if if you want to, you know, smoke a joint, mm-hmm. if you want to use the stuff recreationally, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to treat it like, you know, don't drive a vehicle when you're under the influence of a substance. Right. And, um, you know, you, you can't be busted for possession. You can be busted for use in public, same as you can for drinking alcohol in public. Exactly. But that's it. And, and, you know, on the federal books, it's still, you know, oh my God, you know, restricted, you know, class, whatever. Right. You know, substance. And it's like, you, you kind of want to find this field agent guy and be like, so who's a dinosaur? Yeah, I see what you're saying now. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um because it was it was all this, oh my god, you know, demonizing the people that were doing this and it was mm-hmm. so much time and effort and money and blood and treasure spent you know trying to stamp this stuff out. Oh yeah. And and you know, I mean, it 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 grew like a weed. Hmm. You know. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the end, who, who won? Like, well, who you know, won were then, white corporations, not people of yeah, color. Yeah, that's, that's and what, so I, was who about, won what was, I was about to, what I was about to yeah. get around to was the people, unfortunately, who are now the ones making all the money are, you know, white boys, you're in my age and, you know, younger. Yeah. yeah. Who, who, you know, have, have reaped the. Uh, reaped the benefit of of the price that was paid by a whole lot of marginalized people and a whole lot of you mm-hmm. know a lot of these independent growers that you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah. So, so. Uh, did I mention that there were no warrants? Because that that should bear mention. Did did I mention that there were roadblocks where they would have illegal searches of vehicles? And did I mention the pulling out of families of their cars at gunpoint? Did I mention no. the town of Denny in Trinity County where a group of DEA agents marched through the town in formation chanting war on drugs, war on drugs, like a conquering army? Did I mention that? I feel like I should have mentioned that. You, you're fucking kidding, really? Nope. Yeah, that happened. That was a thing. Wow. Like, that's crazy. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know... What what could that possibly establish any kind of precedent for when you have civilian law enforcement behaving in a paramilitary fashion without, you know, any kind of any kind of attention being paid to people's constitutional rights? Well, and then citizens. I mean, next next they'll be showing up to protests and dragging people off the street in in unmarked vans, in unmarked in unmarked vehicles. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, nothing like that will ever happen because our democratic institutions are too strong. Yeah, and we've learned our lesson, too. Yeah, I mean, totally. So, yeah, 
Well, and so here's where the lines get drawn because citizens start creating observation groups. There are civil liberties monitors with video uh, tape capabilities because it was the age of the camcorder, right? Yes, it's true. So then Reagan signed the crime bill in 1984 that allowed land seizures. And now you get forfeiture auctions. And the best part was they would file that before storming onto your land. And as a result, you had to prove that you weren't growing pot on your land instead of the government having a warrant proving probable cause that you were, in fact, growing pot on your land. And in one instance, the government actually filed a lien against a veteran's property at 8 in the morning. I want to say it was sometime in the morning. And it was one hour before they stormed his house and tore through it complete with automatic uh, assault rifles. And I remember reading his interview about it, and he says, oh, it's nice because they actually found some shit that I had lost and couldn't find. Like, they found the deed to my house that I lost six months ago. Uh, they found these peyote buttons that I'd forgotten that I had for 15 years. They found... <laughs> <laughs> kind of an unfortunate time for those to get discovered. Yeah, but, well, you and know. they found like four baggies of pot from the previous year. And then they found a Time Magazine article about like pot pipes or something and they laid it out as kind of like a fuck you to him um now the result of this was that people found newer and more clever ways to avoid detection quote there's a whole mystique about beating camp all these minute details and techniques like hollowing out the top of an oak tree for a single plant every plant they grew and harvested became uh, becomes uh, every plant they grow and harvest becomes a victory for them yeah. So you've well, got this, yeah. this, and and the DEA, by the way, for its part, shifted away from using U two spy planes and just started looking at why people's electric bills were so high. Well, yeah, because you know you got to wonder about about the mindset of people who were like, "Well, we're going to use the spy planes," mm-hmm. and that was their that was their go to. Mm-hmm. Their go to is we're we're going to take we're going to take this literally military hardware mm-hmm. that that has been has been you know utilized to to try to keep an eye on where the russians are moving their missiles right and we're going to repurpose this to try to spot bud right we're going to spy on like, our own okay. citizens well well i mean i mean okay but over over and above the the moral yich that's involved in that mm-hmm just 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 the the like i almost want to want to say that like they must have been doing coke in the meeting where they came up with that idea that's entirely possible too because because it's like okay no stop how much money Mm -hmm. does it cost how many man hours does it take to maintain that airplane to to uh, fuel the aircraft for every hour the aircraft is in the sky. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to operate the aircraft? And then, and then for for all of the hours in between, while it's being fixed up between flights, you know how like like the 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 dollar cost involved there, as opposed to mm-hmm. well, you know, uh, number one, you know, we have helicopters, right. Like if we want to do aerial survey, we've got helicopters and, you know, we have. Well, and they buzzed over super low just to terrorize the farmers with the helicopters. Well, yeah. Like that was a a tactic as well. Well, yeah, because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, obviously, you know, but but then then, you know, there's there's other tools Mm -hmm. like cheaper 
easier other tools. Like, well, and then they started using those too. Like yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. I know, but but that wasn't the go-to. No, the go-to was we're going to use a spy plane. Yeah. Like honestly, what are you smoking, and do you have any left? No. Well, if not, they can grab it from. Well, they yeah. grab it from whoever they're. Yeah. So, so anyway. all of that is, of course, background for what I'm really here to talk to you about. I'm really going to be talking to you about sci-fi movies with pirates and smugglers. And I'm just yes. going to give you a short list of characters from movies. Um, okay. Movies that dealt with drugs, smuggling, or piracy. Because all of those okay. are essentially the same thing in terms of the legitimacy of the authority and in terms of what harm are we really doing. I'm not yeah. saying that pirates are good guys by any stretch, but in the movies of sci-fi movies, they absolutely were. They were the plucky. So Yeah, the pl- plucky underdog. With no order in mind either. Ice pirates. Okay. You had the character of Jason. Yep. Uh, yep. Dune. Dune focused on spice. And okay. protecting right. that cartel. Okay. Alien, right. even, kind of, because it talks about, you know, human beings as a mule for something that's harmful. And I think those are kind of more peripheral, okay. but I also think that they're pulling on something there. There's a okay. movie called Battle Beyond the Stars with George yes. George Pappard. It plays a yes. character named Cowboy. And it's essentially a sci-fi remake of Seven Samurai, but he specifically is a guy who's shipping laser handguns and he gets attacked. The movie Cocoon. Okay. You're transporting the cocoons and smuggling them by boat. Okay. Okay. Repo right. Man. God, I miss oh, well. I love Repo. Okay. I watched that yeah. movie way too young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you won't like to see what's in the back of the car. Look, <laughs> the guy who played Malik in uh, Conan the Destroyer was in Repo Man. Yeah. Uh, John oh, yeah. John yeah. Wayne's uh, and then he uses the f word for gay people. Um, the hell he ain't. Um, yeah. But uh, but Repo Man, they find something in the okay. back of the trunk of a Chevy Malibu. Okay. And it's essentially the same thing that's in the uh, suitcase that Mark Mar- Marcellus Wallace wants them to pick up in Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah. But Starman. There's a movie called Starman. I don't know if you know that one. There was Jeff Bridges. And he's basically yeah. an alien who asks a woman to transport him from Wisconsin to Arizona, and the authorities are on their tail the whole time. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. E.T. Yeah. Elliot smuggled E.T. out of that really nightmare-inducing, like, clear plastic place. Yeah. yeah. Star that, Crash. That movie, speaking, speaking of movies yeah. that, that you saw too young, yeah. I, I should not have seen that one. At the age I was at. It's so weird, too, because it yeah. was absolutely a kid's movie, but it just touched on such oh. existential terror of abandonment. Yeah. So, Star Crash, yeah. which is a total shitty crash cash-in movie on Star Wars' success, but mm-hmm. it and it stars David Hasselhoff and Christopher Plummer. And Christopher Plummer said the only reason he took the job was because it was all being shot in Rome, so it was a free trip to Rome. <laughs> he even said, I would have done porno to get to Rome. <laughs> Which I would watch Christopher Plummer porno if that meant I got to go to Rome. Um, but fair, yep, fair. Uh, but smugglers are trying to escape an imperial police force. Um, Outland, 
which is a movie about a federal officer on the mining yeah, colony of yeah. Io, Jupiter's moon, uncovering a drug smuggling conspiracy. And then there were three movies between 1975 and 1985 that starred a plucky, daring do kind of fellow who is a smuggler who had his own vehicle to do it. And it was called Star Wars. <laughs> You're being intentionally obtuse. Yeah, quite so. Yeah. So Han yeah. Solo, baby. So most of these characters are absolutely protagonists, but they were doing bad things. But they were doing bad things against a worse government. And smuggling for each of them was a strikeout against the authority, a way to make a little more money, and a way to have to answer to nobody. Okay. And that absolutely struck George Lucas the right way. George Lucas has described Han Solo as, quote, a free enterprise small businessman. Okay. (laughs) And he later said, quote, the way my father brought me up gave me a lot of common a lot of the common sense that I used to get me through the business world. So George Lucas, from a very young age, appreciates the efforts of small businessmen. He has okay. that kind of Jeffersonian uh, commercial instead of farming uh, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Yeah. If we're being you know strictly literal here, Jefferson hated the merchant class, but yes, True. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, he, you combine that with him saying this, I've always had a basic dislike of authority figures, a fear and resentment of grownups. It's little wonder that he writes Han Solo as a smuggler who owns his own ship. When George Lucas was 15, he, his dad caved and bought him his own car and he loved like souping that thing up. He wrapped it around a telephone pole and ended up in, in the ICU for weeks. Um, and it was a very defining moment in his life, but the idea of having his own vehicle. I mean, that's the whole thing behind uh, American Graffiti, you know, mm-hmm. just the freedom yeah. of, of all that. Um, now, for a second, I want to dip into THX 1138. Oh, okay. It's a dystopian movie where sex and procreation are specifically outlawed, which... Okay, yeah. It, this is all written by George Lucas. Now, that means he read 1984. <laughs> yes, Also, people have to take drugs determined by the government as mandatory for controlling everyone. This tells me he also read Brave New World. Um, Everyone wore the same white clothes, stormtroopers, and had their heads shaven. And everyone performs dangerous jobs for the government satisfaction, and mandatory drugs absolutely help that to happen. Romance is outlawed. Family and emotions are taboo topics. This was released in 1971. Yes. Now, back to Nixon. 1971. Nixon is absolutely scaring the living shit out of Americans about heroin and drugs. Okay. American GIs are coming back from Vietnam hooked on heroin. Up to 51% of American GIs by 1971 had tried pot. Now, that's by 1971. 51% of soldiers had done something that only... 11% 11% of Americans had, had tried to do at home. Well, okay. When you, when you take a 19 year old yep. and you separate him from his entire emotional, social support structure mm-hmm. and you, uh, send him through, I'm going to say somewhere in the neighborhood of 
18 weeks mm-hmm. of, of training and then give him a gun and send him into a foreign country where people are constantly trying to fucking kill him. Yes. Then you really shouldn't be that surprised that he develops bad habits as coping mechanisms. Yeah, I was going to say he's self-medicating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the 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 experience of a conscript army mm-hmm. being sent into that kind of conflict mm-hmm. was unprecedented. It really was. Now, thirty-one percent of the. Oh, go on. Well, yeah, and 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 so, you know, the 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 army that that fought World War Two was also a conscript army, but the the it was a different war. It was yeah. It was you know it was what they were it was what they were trained to fight when they went through basic training. It was mm-hmm. okay. This is where the enemy is going to be. This is how you're going to move. This is what you're going to do. Here's the front and line. They, yeah, here's the front line. And then they got to Vietnam, and it was like, well, okay. There's, there's no front really line. Really, a lot. There is no front line. Your entire job when you go out on combat patrol is to, is going to you know is is to go out and you know try to try to get them to shoot at you yep so you can use superior firepower to to you know uh 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 end them right uh because you know the the leadership of the other side in this particular war has figured out they they have to use fabian tactics or mm-hmm. we're just going to we're going to steamroller them mm-hmm. and and you know uh, and so like there's there is no there 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 is not any any way or there was not at the time any way to to prepare those mm-hmm. young men for that yeah like they were they were they were on top of everything everything else about that war the the kids that we were sending over to fight it were utterly unprepared they were utterly untrained all of the learning they had to do was in the field yep and so i mean the the stress level involved is is ridiculous mm-hmm. so of so, course yeah. they were smoking weed like well 31 percent of them had also tried acid or some other hallucinogen 28 percent had tried heroin or cocaine now 23 percent of troops were black 25% of the total number of troops were were drafted. However, um, the specter of the draft caused plenty to volunteer, so they'd had some say as to where they'd go. So, yeah. And the lottery had started under Nixon in 1969, the lottery draft. Yeah. So the existential fear of draft without privilege, which had a high correlation to drug experimentation and a visibly higher percentage of black soldiers coming back addicted or having used allowed Nixon to use that to scare the shit out of people about drugs, which caused white folks to clutch their pearls and be completely okay with the dog whistle that was about racism. Now, here's that quote by John Ehrlichman, Nixon's domestic uh, policy chief. He said, quote, The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. 
we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Now, that's all happening in the soup of George Lucas going to film school. Now, by the way, felony drug sentencing, which disproportionately fell on people of color, disqualifies folks from voting. Currently, one in one one thirteenth, one in 13 black people of voting age cannot vote due to this disqualification. That is currently as of today. That's 2.3 million. later. Yeah. Yeah. 2.3 million of the 30.8 million black people over 18 cannot vote. Anyway, his first movie was THX 1138, and it comes out at that time. And look into uh, his view on drugs. Famously, his whole class of fellow directors did all the drugs ever. (laughs) Well, yeah. And he mostly abstained. And he was very focused on keeping as much of his movie's profits to himself. He's thinking differently than all the other guys. He's not there to enjoy as much as he's there to make his own thing. Um, He doesn't want studios to get the money. He doesn't want authorities over him to get the money. He says, quote, normally you just sign a standard contract with a studio, but we wanted merchandising, sequels, all those things. I didn't ask for another million just the merchandising rights. And Fox thought that was a fair trade. He didn't like other people telling him what to do. This goes Mm -hmm. all the way back, all the way back. And so in the 1970s, when he's creating this movie, he's got Han Solo in there. So THX 1138 was absolutely informed by the cultural preoccupation with drugs and overbearing government the enforcement of uh, conformity, etc., And George Lucas, a film student who struggled against authority anyway, wrote and directed this not very successful film. Yeah. But really, I want to focus on Han Solo here because of course I do. So he is George Lucas's ideal, reacting to the 1970s dominant culture. He's a smuggler. He is an American smuggler, let's be honest. He has his own ship. He lives by his own rules. He flouts imperial authority at every turn. He's former military. He lies low. He brags loud. And he has a past, prior to picking up the oddest passengers available, um, that involves (laughs) smuggling spice, which Lucas later on pointed out. Oh, that's space drugs. Um, He swindled his ship from Lando, or at least there's room left to question that. He's got a best friend and a ship. He is a lovable scoundrel. Yes. Han Solo embodies everything about the romantic hipster, uh, the romantic hipster outlaw that was flying just on the corner of society's drug culture's eyes. Han Solo represents pluck, but also a refusal to adhere to the rules. He shows them as flawed and oppressive rules. He's smart, he's funny, he's fast, but he's also vain, greedy, and makes really dumb choices. Yes. He's basically a good person trying to find his way in a really big and complicated universe without having to answer to anybody. Now, even more so, smugglers have a certain set of skills that are cinematically dramatic and compelling. They're usually good at some sort of vehicle, so you can get chase scenes. They're good at hiding, so you get that tension scene. Um, They're good at getting away, so you can have the denouement be escape. Mm-hmm. 
all sort of tension, all sort of peril, and all sort of pluck exist within those dynamics. Okay. Yeah. No, they're great. They're great fodder for any kind of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. So Han Solo is all those things, right? But he's also some other things that are similar to what we saw in the 1970s drug smuggling culture, especially the pot smuggling. Not so much the cocaine smuggling because those fuckers were prone to horrible, horrible violence. Those murders that I told you about in the last episode in Miami, they included plenty of mutilations. They included taking chainsaws to people who were still alive to send a message. Like awful awful torture oh horrible well yeah. okay so pot guys so, didn't do that <laughs> yeah no no pot guys didn't do that yeah. um no I, I gotta i gotta at this point mm-hmm. unfortunately um i have to bring up tiger king okay um which you haven't seen no um and, and history's proven seen... me right that seeing it <clears throat> is unimportant yeah well yeah um but one one of the one of the stories that that comes out over the course of that mm-hmm. miniseries <clears throat> is that one of one of the people in in the exotic big cat breeding you know private ownership you know business um, is possibly the guy that you mentioned Scorsese was having that conversation with who you know Oliver got up Stone, the yeah. room Oliver Stone yeah. yeah. Um, and and it was was in large part his his whole operation mm-hmm. uh, was actually you know a big part of the of the factual inspiration for uh, uh, Scarface mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you know he did time for all this stuff and as you mentioned uh, the the crime that you know he insists was you know was all his business partner not him he didn't do any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, involved you know somebody being taken apart with a circular saw. You know, yeah. Uh, now, now in that case, I don't believe it was while they were still alive. But still, it's taking a circular saw to a human being, right? So yeah, those guys were bonkers, crazy, violent, nuts. And that's mostly uh, cocaine. And yes. then later on, the harder drugs as well. But yeah. that's most yeah. of the cocaine smugglers, not the and pot smugglers. No, no, the pot guys. You know, it's it's interesting that that you know that that is kind of the distinction because you know think about you know what what does pot do to one? Talked about this last episode. Yeah, that's a good point. Where, yeah. You know, and whereas whereas cocaine, um, you become hyper paranoid mm-hmm. and you know wired and you know. The, the 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 level of danger to self and others involved with cocaine is higher than with marijuana. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that the guys that are smuggling mm-hmm. the one are going to be, you know, crazy, scary, and the other ones are going to be like, you know, I just I really don't want to deal with this right now. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I anyway, would also but, say that um, pot smugglers, you know, th- there there was a fair degree of paranoia amongst them as well. And it's not like they, they didn't get into violence. They absolutely did. Um, yeah. You know, just like Han Solo, when we first see him, he shoots first. He shoots Greedo, yeah. kills him dead, done. Uh, and then he moves on. It's not, I'm going to torture you over the next uh, three hours and then send yeah. your penis to your family. Like it's, yeah. it's not that there is a difference in the type of violence yeah. when they, when they do engage in violence, 
Because, again, yeah. we saw in Humboldt County, you had people willing to shoot people. <clears throat> um, you did have that. But oh, yeah. ultimately, you know, it's it's a different thing. Han Solo is all the things that we mentioned, um, but he's he's flouting the law, but he's not doing so maliciously. He hearkens back to this ethical, not lawful, good person. And mm-hmm. most of the people in Humboldt County... And most of the pot smugglers, most not all, were people who chafed against authority but didn't really want to hurt anybody. They wanted to shove their thumb in the eye of people in charge. Most of the guys flying planes and kicking out the bales of pot over farms in the Carolinas were former military men who, again, chafed against authority but really didn't want to hurt anyone. And both groups on both coasts got to make some fairly easy money. And they'd live according to their own rules and not have to answer to anyone. Yeah. That's Han Solo. And even yeah. if they worked for some awful people, like, say, Jabba the Hutt, they could still maintain their own self-image of being their own man. And, you know, they're not tied to that organization. They just move stuff from time to time. And since yeah. they're mostly not doing the killing, unless, you know, some are, they're mostly just escaping... They're similarly attractive to people who saw the romance of what pot smugglers were doing, and that was something that was in the zeitgeist in the 1970s. So ultimately, Han Solo and the pot smugglers of the 1970s were accidental heroes and incidental criminals, which in the 70s are protagonists. Okay. And the ubiquity of that type of character throughout the genre during that stretch of time is absolutely an embodiment of mm-hmm. accidental hero, incidental criminal. Well, yeah, and and you know, and, and it's not just in in science fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, the 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 lifestyle of that was glorified in any number of kind of kind of movies mm-hmm. or dramatized. Yep. Milked for drama, at least, if not glorified, right? In any number of of kinds of movies. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, in, in popular music, you know, um, there are, there's, there's, you know, a legacy of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the two, the two examples that immediately jump, jump into my mind when, when you're talking about this, I actually had to look them up, mm-hmm. uh, to figure out when, when they were recorded. And it turns out both of the songs that occurred to me, well, one of them was, was in the time period that you're talking about, uh, Smuggler's Blues, hmm. uh, by Glenn Fry, mm-hmm. uh, was recorded in, uh, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I want to say it was 83. Okay. Um, and it is, it is a, a song, an Eagles-esque Glenn Fry song. Right. Uh, you know, from the point of view of, you know, a drug runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it painted in a, in a sympathetic light, mm-hmm. and uh, then there's another song um, that I now have to look back up, uh, "Treetop Flyer," which um, I want to say it's Crosby, Stills. Give me a second, Stephen Stills. My bad. Okay. Uh, by on his own, Stephen Stills. Um, that is, it it came out in '91, so mm-hmm. it's you know a long time after the time period we're talking about but it could be the the memoir of one of these guys from that time period you know talking about 
you know, I learned how to fly low and fast from, from, you know, uncle Sam taught me how to do this. Uh-huh. So, so I don't get, so, you know, the, the VC won't, won't be able to shoot you down. Right. Uh, you know, and, you know, talks about, and, you know, there I was at the airport and I got approached by a guy who said, Hey man, you want to make some fast cash? And, you know, um, and so there it is. Even, even that long after the time period, we, we still see this sympathetic view mm-hmm. of, of the guys that are doing this. Cause you know, I mean, who doesn't, who isn't attracted to, to a, a romantic rogue kind, right. of, kind of figure like that. And there's a little bit of Robin hood going on there, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, um, and so, yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely see, I definitely see the, the power of the archetype yeah. in like, like during that time period and since that time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so that's that's it. Um, Han Solo is because people were smuggling pot in the 1970s. And he okay. is so beloved because he embodied those values. Um, and those mm-hmm. are an eternally American set of values. If you really think about the the very reason that Americans went to war with the British, it, it surrounded... T- taxation uh on on how goods that were being john, shipped yeah. how did john hancock make his money uh jerking off chickens yeah yes yes no no <laughs> no he was a rum runner oh okay yeah yeah you know yeah he's a smuggler um, <laughs> yeah you know they the 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 you know multiple members of the continental congress made their mm-hmm. money and this is in the northeast mind you uh, you know, the, the Bostonians and the New Yorkers and all of those guys, they, they made an additional, I mean, they, they had legitimate businesses, but they, they made additional money off the top mm-hmm. by sneaking molasses in, you know, that wasn't on their bill of sale, right? you know, turning it into rum and then turning around and selling it for a profit that they didn't have to pay taxes on. Mm-hmm. And the British knew what was going on and the British went, all right, well, I, we're going to cut down on that. Well, and, and partly because and, those taxes were paying for the protection of soldiers on the frontier because the American colonists couldn't be trusted to not antagonize the Indians even further. Yes. Like, yes. There, there was also, yeah. like, Americans during the revolution were the shittiest college students who are upset that their parents are paying for things but don't want to turn off the spigot of money. Like, yeah, no, you're you're not. I mean, yeah, that's that's certainly one one way of explaining it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, well, we we want to we want to expand into the Ohio Valley. You can't expect. We've talked about this. You <laughs> can't expand into the Ohio Valley because we signed a treaty with those tribes mm-hmm. that help us fight off the bloody French. Right. Well, but we want to expand into the Ohio Valley. Do you not look asked and answered? Mm-hmm. You <laughs> continental colonial twit. Yeah. You know, and and like, but it doesn't compute. We need to get into the Ohio Valley. And while we're at it, why are you charging all these taxes? Because we have to have bloody redcoats. 
because you keep to going into the Ohio Valley. Going into the Ohio fucking <laughs> Valley. You know, um, and yeah, and well, I don't like that. And yeah. so we have, and here we have, you know. Well, and like you said in the previous in the previous episode, NASCAR got its start its start as uh, rum runners. Well, yeah, I'm going to use that. You know, bootleggers. Um, uh, showing off their fastest vehicles to each other and started yeah. racing the stock cars. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it, it, smuggling is such an American institution. I find it more interesting that smugglers didn't make it into sci-fi prior to the pot smugglers. And I think it has to do with airplane smuggling. Small, independently owned airplane smuggling really, no pun intended, took off in the seventies. Okay. And yeah, prior to well, that, that, um, you know, it, it was, it was a different, it was, it was boats and it was, you know, cars and stuff like that. Yeah. There's something about yeah. the flight of it that captured the imagination. And of course, Han Solo is a good guy. Yeah. But, you know? And so, yeah, I, I, I really, yeah. so there's my thesis statement. Okay. So, yeah. Don't I, that works. So That's, do you and, uh, go on? No, no. Oh. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you have any books that you want to recommend to the audience tonight? Or this this morning? Who knows when we're recording? Who knows mm. yeah, when, when the hell, yeah. Mm. We've kept yes. it so timeless. Yes. yes. So very, very. Yeah. No, we haven't. Uh, <laughs> um, I do not at present okay. uh, have anything uh, in particular that I'm reading to recommend. Because uh, when I am not... Uh, working on on getting ready to go back to school, I have my head buried in the uh, forty now forty second millennium of man. Um, getting trying to trying to figure out about getting back into Warhammer forty thousand um, because God help me, I love that universe more than it probably deserves. <laughs> so how about you though? You're you're a much bigger, more, more prolific reader most of the time than I am. So what, what are you going on? I would disagree with that. I had that discussion with a friend of mine, actually. I was pointing out that you are much more broadly read and, and the depths that you have on certain things are like just way different than mine. Uh, and so that I'm much more specialized in most of my reading, but speaking of specialized in my reading, I'm going to recommend AC Crispin. Um, she has since passed, um, but she was a phenomenal author, wrote one of my favorite trilogy of books, uh, the Han Solo trilogy. Uh, it, it starts with the Paradise Snare. It goes yeah. on to the Rebel Dawn and then finally to the Hut Gambit. And it is, if you want to know about Han Solo and his smuggling past, these books are amazing. Like just such rich and vibrant and wonderful characters. Um, and uh, A.C. Crispin absolutely captured uh, the essence of Han Solo. So I strongly recommend that trilogy of books for people. It's been a long time since I read them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I have to agree with you. They are, they are by far mm-hmm. some of the best, um, extended universe now legends, yes. uh, stuff that's, that's out there that was ever part of Canon. So much so that the movie solo borrowed very liberally from these books. Oh yeah. That's why I haven't really oh. minded Disney like calling it legends. I'm like, okay, well, it's going to be cool to see what cool things they take from the books now. And they yeah. absolutely took them from this from this series. 
and and you know in the moments that we have left i just want to put in my own my own little note here uh you mentioned the movie solo mm-hmm. um i think the movie did make one major mistake in that it tried to explain too many things all mm-hmm. at once mm-hmm. aside from that mm-hmm. i literally was like squeeing I was so happy about so many things in that film the whole time and I I I thoroughly enjoyed it I thought it was a great Han Solo story mm-hmm. um, and and I hope probably against hope that they're that they're gonna do something else with with Aaron Reich as as Han Solo because it was awesome yeah, his characterization was really good. Like he looked nothing like Harrison Ford, but he absolutely acted like Harrison Ford's Han Solo. Just yeah. the the striking of the poses that he struck uh, yeah. was absolutely and, and like the little smirks that he would do. His smirk looks nothing like Harrison Ford's smirk, no. but it absolutely looked like oh, that's an affect that Han Solo has. Yeah, it, it was, read it was good. Yeah, it really did. So yeah. Well, if people want to disagree with you about Solo, uh, yes. where can they find you? Uh, they can come fight me over that uh, <laughs> as Mr. Blaylock on uh, Instagram, uh, or uh, you can find me uh, on on TikTok. Even though I've only put up one video so far, and it's teachers' union related. Um, you should do a then, dance on that thing, like to, oh, to, you know, no, waste on Tinder or whatever. No, shit. Lord, no, no, Suburban norms do. no, not yeah, no. Um, and then, uh, if you want to try to find me on the Twitter machine, I am E.H. Blaylock, uh, on the Twitters. Uh, we collectively are on the Twitter as, uh, Geek History Time. And if they want to find you, where can they shout at you to point out that, you know, smugglers existed in science fiction long before, on solo mm. and oh my god you're completely wrong where would they go to do that well i uh think that they should uh find me at at the harmony uh both on the insta and the twitter there's two h's in the middle there um and if they just want to laugh at uh, my puns and my jokes and all the fun that i i can do comedically for them uh they should uh look to uh, twitch.tv forward slash capital puns uh, because we are Sacramento's number one premier underground pun tournament, and we've been going for over four years now. Um, so why are there you any looked? others? We are the number one of them all. So are there any others? And in all of California, we are also Sacramento's premier number one <laughs> underground <laughs> pun tournament. Shut the fuck up! Uh, we are special. <laughs> <laughs> question so. asked and answered I, <laughs> I, I was i withdraw the question sure well i'll put it this way i've seen some that have flashed up and then disappeared this is true uh we we this have sustainability true. so so there's yeah, that there's that definitely. so yeah all right well for a geek history of time i'm damien harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until the next time and until next time uh keep rolling 20s